0: There is currently no industry certified standard for electronic translation accuracy. Medical professionals and
1: GPs should bill interpreting services when they require extended consultation.
0: And welcome everyone. Welcome to this final SlaterPod episode before the big summer break. Hi, Anna. Hi, Florian. So big summer break in Spain too?
1: Everything is uh, really quietening down uh, already. Everyone's deserted Madrid to to go to to the beach, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know where people went here, but it's quite deserted-ish as well. And I'm heading up to the mountains for a couple of weeks, so you'll have to do without the podcast for two weeks, but keep reading the site. It's all going to be there. So today we're going to talk about Chairman Departures. Translation devices in the UK and in interpreting news. You're going to bring us some uh, some news from you know very lively um, interpreting scene recently. So much happening.
1: Yep, lots of news from different parts of the world.
0: That's right. That's right. From your home country to Canada to Europe. We're not going to talk about Europe though, but anyway, first we're starting with the great chairman departure. Uh, today, news arrived, today being, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday, um, news arrived that RWS's uh, long-term chairman and uh, you know partial owner, Andrew Brody, is to become a non-executive director from his current chairmanship and so they, uh, it's a very controlled transition and they have appointed uh, uh, Julie Southern as what They call uh, chairperson designate, non-executive director, so uh, she will take uh, over from, uh, again, Andrew Brody in October 2023, so it's a very long-term handover and then he will become a non-executive director, as I just said. I mean, Brody is taking this business from... Um, you know from what was originally like a 40 million pound market cap to you know in 2003 to 1.4 billion in market cap today so that was quite quite the run up for anybody who started investing uh, back in two, 2003 is probably a happy camper and I mean, they did a lot of acquisitions, right, over the years. So that was really um, the driven by him originally. Patent translation and acquired a lot of businesses. You know, of course, speaking with uh, the SDL acquisition. Uh, so yeah, looks like a, a very kind of control gradual transition to a new chairman. Actually, it's a chairwoman. So, uh, so I don't know what's the appropriate term there. And for me, as a native English speaker, chairwoman.
1: I think chairperson.
0: Chairperson. All right. So Southern's going to be the chairperson. person. Uh, So she's on a couple other boards. She's uh, on uh, the board of RentoKill, Ocado and EasyJet, a brand that I used to use a lot back in the 2000s going back and forth from London. And then she's also uh, on a a company called NXP Semiconductors that's listed on the uh, New York NASDAQ, so very experienced uh, individual. And uh, Yeah, so I guess we're, we can expect a lot more from RWS going forward. Also saying goodbye is another chairman uh, that's Phil Norman, chairman of Straker Translations, uh, so they have appointed Heath McKay-Cruz to, uh, to take over the post of chairman, independent non-executive director and uh, McCruz spent over 25 years in media, education and tech, currently is on the board of a couple other Australia Lisa companies, do you know any of them? Southern Cross, Oro, UP Education?
1: Southern Cross is a yeah, very well-known uh, media company, um, owns a couple of the main TV channels there.
0: All right, so maybe Strake's going to get into media, <laughs> who knows? Uh, same story there, uh, so uh, Ch- uh, Norman, Phil Norman uh, said that, you know, when he took on the the championship, I mean, basically they grew grew their revenues from like um, 5.5 million in uh, New Zealand dollars, right, so that that would, I guess in our terms, it would would have been a boutique agency back in 2014, not quite 2003 like RWS but 2014 um, and uh, yeah, now they completed of course the IPO listed on the ASX in Australia and Sydney, did nine acquisitions. Including the the most recent one. One of the most recent ones was Lingotech kind of on the on the tech side, right? And won this huge IBM account, and now, are now I, I don't have the revenue figures, but what is it like forty fifty million dollars? So ten x the revenues, and are now um, uh, worth about what is it sixty seventy million dollars in market cap. So quite the quite the ride there for Straker's chairman as well. Uh, well, congrats to both those gentlemen on uh, you know a job well done. 10x, 20x market cap, not not easy to do. Moving on to the UK Home Office, that's an interesting one. Actually, that story isn't written by the time we talk about this. I hope we're going to get this done uh, the week, but I, I didn't want to. I did want to talk about it on the pod. It's about tra- the use of translation devices, as they call them. And this is the Home Office. That's kind of the UK. I don't know Interior Ministry. Is that the same Australia? Do they call it Home Office or don't think we
1: call it the home office, but I don't know the term off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> Sorry, just thinking if this is like a commonly, uh, this is a very UK specific term, home office, so I, I had to Google it and it's like the Interior Ministry, Department of Interior, whatever you would call it in the US, right? Uh, long story short, they uh, issued the version 1.0 of like the use of kind of interpreting um, let me let me just pull this up here and make sure that I so it's basically interpreting services and the use of translation devices, detention services order. And that's version 1.0, uh, you know, just published uh super, super recently. And and so basically it revolves around uh establishing kind of a framework for the provision of in-person interpreting services, telephone interpreting, and electronic translation devices, which is the the, the more interesting one. And uh, so basically they say the purpose of this order is to set out the provisions, including interpreting services and translation devices available for individuals held in immigration detention. So, okay, that's not very pleasant. We're not going to delve into the whole in-person telephone, etc. That's not super interesting, but what they uh, are kind of trying to give are is guidance around using translation devices. I think what they mean is literally just like mobile phones and apps on mobile phones. I don't think they're talking about specific like one, like standalone translation devices, which we kind of occasionally make fun of that there are things that are marketed as translation devices because, well, we've all got mobile phones and apps. Um, now, I've got to start, I think they're taking a very kind of cautious approach to this, so basically that it mostly revolves around, the guidance mostly revolves around like what kind of SIM cards you want to use, like checking if the device itself works, like the mobile phone, there's nothing uh, super specific actually there. They say, um, and they're also cautious in in saying like, quote unquote, they should not replace, the translation devices should not replace in-person or telephone interpretation services, which must continue to be used for all essential interactions where accuracy is of significant importance, still though, I mean, they do mention it, they do try to give a bit of a framework so potentially people feel a little more emboldened in actually just kind of spinning up Google Translate and and having a a conversation there, I wonder. Um, they They also don't talk about translation quality specifically except that they're saying in one particular bullet point that there is currently no industry certified standard for electronic translation accuracy and unless proven, Uh, unless proven, devices manufacturers' claims regarding accuracy should not be solely relied upon and then only devices approved for translating services by the home office compliance team can be used. I wonder, I mean, we looked at this. I wonder what those approved um, devices and services are. So, and then they keep saying uh, where possible devices should be tested prior to their use within the center and the compliance team should be invited to take part in the testing of, this, of the devices. Well, sounds like a bit of um, what do you call it? Like a bit of wishful thinking in a sense, right? I mean, like, so well there. As we all know, I mean, it's a very complicated uh, field and there's no magic device that you know does the, does the trick, no matter how hard the people from the compliance team will try to assess. So anyway, it was an interesting uh, story to pick up and uh, I look forward to the article that probably lays this out a little better than I just could. So, let's move on to the beautiful country of Canada where there is another interpreter revolt? What's going on with interpreters? You know, we had European Union a couple episodes ago, now it's the Canadians.
1: So what's happening this time is that uh, Canada's Board of Eternal Economy, uh, which manages finances for the House of Commons, has approved a six-month pilot project that allows the use of external and remote interpreters for parliamentary sessions. Um, The pilot project was approved in May. Um, It started uh, midway through July. So basically, this pilot project enables the House of Commons to hire freelance interpreters directly. And uh, the reason there's been a response from interpreters uh, to the project is that this excludes the government's own Translation Bureau. So that Translation Bureau is in charge of qualifying and staffing official accredited translators, interpreters and terminologists. So there, there is already a process in place there. There are already a, a process for uh, qualifying um, and making sure that only accredited uh, interpreters are used. So that news was shared by the Translation Bureau um, with interpreters and also with the Canada or Canada's um, part of the uh, International Association of Conference Interpreters, so that association. Um, so, yeah, there was quite a, re- a strong response from um, the interpreters. We spoke to Nicole Gagnon, who's an I- AIIC member, and advocacy lead for government interpreters in Canada. Um, so she basically said that interpreters understand that there's a need to solve for a shortage of interpreters that appears to be the, the trigger for this, uh, this change in process. Um, however, she pointed out it shouldn't be done at the obviously at the expense of rigour and quality or bypassing standards that work and have been in place for a long time. Um, She pointed out that interpreters have been asking the government to invest in interpreter training programs and efficient recruitment for a number of years now.
0: So that is a similar issue then with the European Union, right? I mean, partially remote, partially use of uh, freelancers and kind of, yeah, external providers.
1: Yeah, it's about the government going to alternative providers. Um, So Gagnon also pointed out um, with respect to remote simultaneous interpreting technology that as a whole, interpreters are not against using the technology in remote sessions, so long as quality standards are maintained, it's used in a way that makes sense, um, such as for small meetings and not uh, those large parliamentary sessions.
0: This is definitely not the last we hear of this. There will be more, so we'll keep track. And there's another one that we, a big contract in France that we came uh, um, about in our RFP service, you know, we have this... Um, RFP service where, like, daily we're tracking all of the translation, localization, interpreting RFPs, and you know, our subscribers can access it. So, this one we gave some particular uh, visibility because it's really large. It's like, what is it, 42 million euros? So, what what's this about?
1: Yeah, so it's, it is a 42 million euro contract. Um, it's for interpreting at asylum hearings in France, um, the uh, procuring. Uh, department is called the French Office for the Protection of Refugees and Stateless Persons, otherwise known as OFPRA, and yeah, big opportunity deadline for submissions is uh, end of August. So, um, the interpreting services are needed during hearings for asylum seekers and stateless persons, it's a 12 month contract with possible renewal up to three times for a total possible term of uh, four years.
0: So that's kind of French central government type of work. We should, we should follow up and see who won this.
1: Yeah, very interesting.
0: Yeah, France is still relatively kind of closed, like we don't cover France that often, so we should just follow up and see who who actually won this, if it's a, a known vendor. All right, let's stay with the topic of interpreting and move to your, uh, to your home country of Australia. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, story from Australia. Um, this should come out on the, uh, on Seda's site in a couple of days. So, what we saw here is that uh, new guidance was published from the Department of Health um, that clarified how medical professionals and GPs should bill interpreting services um, when they required extended consultation. Um, so, basically, the Department of Health has clarified that uh, when claiming for Uh, like timed items, the total consultation time between a physician and a patient includes the time required to communicate effectively with the patient. So that's um, very good news because it's acknowledging that um, time might be required and that time might uh, require the use of an interpreter. So should more time than usual be required to communicate effectively, it's considered reasonable to claim a longer attendance item um, than might otherwise be expected. So there was a response from the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, um, and they basically said that um, this is going to help to boost the uptake of interpreters in general practice, Um, and they pointed out that we already know that interpreters are underutilised in general, in general practice care, due to a number of disincentives and barriers so this clarification uh, is hopefully going to um, increase the use of interpreters because uh, there's more cl- clarity around uh, whether or not that time uh, can be included in the consultation time.
0: This is one of the areas where you really want to have an interpreter if it's kind of critical health-related issues, you don't want uh, communication to be a major issue there, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, and then uh, just briefly, so we did have a, um, a, a workshop on conference interpreting the new ISO standard. What what ISO standard is that? ISO? 23155,
1: 2022.
0: Is that a fully new standard? Yeah, that was released this year, right?
1: Completely new. Uh, there hasn't been a conference interpreting standard before, so it's the first time uh, this information has been captured and distilled. Uh, we know that the ISO working group worked closely with the AISC to capture kind of decades worth of knowledge and crystallize it into the into the standards, and it was released in January of this year.
0: Cool and we had this uh, workshop with uh, Harris Kinos and just shameless plug here. Uh, you could still actually access this for, uh, on our vimeo on demand page where you you know it's it's on the website. there's a link so if you missed it, make sure to uh, to go there and re-watch it. All right, guys, this was it from SlaterPod in the first half of 2022. We will be back with more news and guests in a couple of weeks.